Recovery Elevator, episode 185. Now that I'm in recovery, I can't unknow what I know. There's no way I could go back out and drink and it could even taste the same or feel the same. I couldn't lose myself in that way. I know it's impossible. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. We've got a fantastic show for you guys today. I enjoyed every aspect of the creation part of this episode, the interview with Jennifer, and the research for the topic for today. So on today's podcast, we've got Jennifer. She's 36 years old. She's from Cleveland, Ohio. She's been sober for 568 days. And there was a time in her journey when she said, this isn't working, so she decided to reach out. Before we get any further, let's hear from my favorite resource in recovery, Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it didn't work. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group, which is capped at 300 members to ensure intimacy. Then you get access to the Cafe RE forum outside of Facebook which means you don't need a Facebook account to be part of Cafe RE. Both are private and only members can see who is in the groups and what is said. In the forum and Facebook group, you get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For just $19 a month, you too can join the conversation. You can be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups and retreats, participate in book club, movie club, and more. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive this setup fee. I hope to see you there. Don't forget, guys, I launched a free five-day video course. You can go to recoveryelevator.com, and on the front page, you can subscribe to that course there. Okay, let's get started. Today, I'm going to cover the importance and lack of importance of tracking your sobriety time. What does it mean when you have to reset your sobriety tracker? And should you be tying your success in sobriety to the amount of time in your sobriety tracker? You may have noticed at the beginning of the first 140 Recovery Elevator podcast episodes, and almost everyone after that, I mentioned my sobriety time from the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker app. Why? Well, this whole project started out of creating accountability for myself, which has worked. It was also somewhat of a routine for the podcast. And getting sober is probably my most crowning achievement in life. Actually, it is without a doubt. And I'm damn proud of it. But you may have noticed in the past 20 episodes or so, I haven't mentioned it every time. And I'll be mentioning it less and less in the future and maybe stop entirely. Why? Well, a couple reasons. One episode, I just forgot. Another reason is I don't want to add any extra pressure to listeners. And in all truthfulness, we're going for quality over quantity. So I see people posting Cafe RE that are crushed when they have to reset their sobriety trackers. And I know that feeling too. I was there many times. I had way too many day ones than I'd like to count. Relapses are tough. And if you're going for a continuous sobriety, you'll need to start over. You'll need to start that sobriety tracker over again but you're not throwing anything away. What you did do was gain a valuable lesson that you can apply to your journey, your mission, if you choose to accept. Sorry, I just saw Mission Impossible. So back to quality over quantity. 
or in other terms, emotional sobriety versus continuous sobriety. When I say emotional sobriety, I mean you're not white knuckling it through the day or you're not a dry drunk. Someone with emotional sobriety is a self-regulating adult who can find or often finds the present moment enjoyable, agreeable, entertaining, amusing, gratifying, acceptable, and most of the time fun. Symptoms of a dry drunk would be looking at sobriety as a sacrifice and not an opportunity, or every action throughout the day is a means to an end. Sometimes people with long-term continuous sobriety can be hanging on by a thread. We've all heard stories of people relapsing after years of sobriety. In 2012, I relapsed after 2.5 years of sobriety, and looking back towards the end, all I was tracking was the amount of miserable days I went without alcohol. It wasn't fun. Sometimes, it's not a mystery who has quality over quantity. I'm not sure if you've seen this in an AA meeting, but I have. If you go to the same meeting a couple times, you can see who is living with emotional sobriety and someone who is hinging their recovery success and merit on how long they've been sober. You can tell this because every time they share, they'll let you know how long they've been sober. Whether it's 15 years, 10, 5, or 6 months, or however long it's been, they'll make sure that you know it. The ones who have had an awakening and are living with emotional sobriety don't feel the need to say how long they've been sober. It's like the Walter Payton quote, if you're good at something, you'll let everyone know. If you're great at something, they'll let you know. Getting sober and sobriety should be fun. Sure, there are days where you just got to take a bite out of the shit taco of life, but with technology, there are some cool features on a sobriety tracker app, and you should use these apps as a tool to enjoy your recovery. In addition to tracking how long you've gone without a drink, many of these apps, trackers, can track how much money you've saved, how many calories that you haven't consumed. And according to the Recovery Elevator Sobriety Tracker app, I have not ruined 4.6 weddings. I'm kidding. This is actually a feature I tried to implement in the app, but I ditched it out at the last moment. A little bit of a language barrier for me and my app development team in India. And I also wanted to keep going with that. It would have been somewhat humorous to track how many bumpers not dented, how many ditches not slept in, how many awful Amazon purchases not made, etc. You get the point. But use these apps for fun. Be lighthearted with it. With my app, I can say, wow, I've saved over $34,000 in sobriety. That's pretty cool. Looks like I can tour with Third Eye Blind for the remainder of the year. Please do me a favor and don't associate successful sobriety with the time frame. Then we're going to start playing the game. When I have X amount of days, I will feel this way. I'll be happy when I have one year of sobriety. Please don't do any of that. Do not look at your tracker and say, I only have five days. The recovery elevator tracker doesn't say, welcome back, Amanda. You've got just five days. No, you've got five glorious days. And that's incredible. Whether it's 30 minutes, one day, it's all a tremendous feat. Some people are motivated by trackers. I loved with my app that I could actually see the seconds tick up and up and up. People like to do this with weight loss. I tracked my taper from my ADD meds over 30 days. Each day I would write the dosage, how the day went, etc. And I could see the progress grow on paper. I'm one of these people who likes to track a goal on paper or through an app. If you're not, then don't fuss with a sobriety tracker. At the end of the day, a sobriety tracker is external. It's on your phone. The true tracker is internal. So keep in mind, the tracker on your phone doesn't track emotional sobriety or quality sobriety. It only tracks continuous sobriety, which is important, but it falls secondary to emotional sobriety. And usually when emotional sobriety is intact, 
then the continuous sobriety always, seamlessly, falls into place. So as I record this, I'm four days away from four years of sobriety, and this will be the last time I read the amount of days I've been sober on the podcast, unless I'm approaching a milestone or I feel it's relevant in an interview. Does that mean my sobriety date is losing its importance, or will it drift off in the vast infinity of space? Fuck no. It's my proudest achievement in life, but I've also had several other important sobriety dates before that that have propelled me forward on my way. Let me summarize. In my opinion, the best way to use a sobriety tracker app. Do not couple success or failure on your sobriety tracker app in relation to continuous sobriety. Again, we're going for quality over quantity. And when we hit the quality, which you'll feel at the core level, then you've just shored up the continuous sobriety component. And last, celebrate the shit out of your milestones. Even if you're not certain it's quality over quantity, you still need to recognize the achievement you've made. And just like I've said, we can't do this alone on the podcast. We also can't celebrate alone. And before we get to Jennifer, I want to insert my own you might be an alcoholic if line. You might be an alcoholic if you start to develop an Apple app. Then after countless relapses and realizing you have no idea what you're doing, you contract the app out to a third party because the sobriety tracker you're currently using starts at 0.0 days instead of one day. Guys, I was on day one for so long that I used this shitty app that actually reflected it as 0.0 day. So I was on day one for so long that I said, screw this app, I'm making my own app. Just so in my mind, I could get that extra day. Okay, enough out of me, let's hear from Jennifer. Jennifer, how are you? Good, Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for asking. Jennifer, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? I have been sober 568 days, so a little over a year and a half. Nice job. And before I hit record, you mentioned December 21st, 2016. Is that correct? That is it. Yeah, nice job. And before we get any further, Jennifer, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Okay, well, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm 36 years old. I'm a cat mom to three cats. I am a uh, small business owner, so I have a dog walking and pet sitting business. And what else? Was that everything for fun? Oh, I had issues <laughs> thinking of what I do for fun um, because I don't know yet. I think like a lot of people, I, I'm still figuring it out. I'm, uh, I'm basically like delving into myself, anything recovery related. I'm always navel gazing, <laughs> making lists. Can you clarify what navel gazing is? I don't think I've ever heard that. I'm, I'm trying to go back to the root, you know, like I'm trying to figure it all. <laughs> I'm trying to look, I'm looking at my, like, it's like your, your navel is where you were connected to your, like your mother, you know, I'm trying to like trace, trace it all back and, and figure out why I am the way I am. And yeah, just a lot of uh, like uh, cerebral, like introverted, like I'm, cause that's, that's my version of fun <laughs> is processing emotion. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah i love that navel gazing you're probably going to hear me on use that at future episodes of the podcast and i'm probably going to claim it as my own just to let you know that's um, totally fine yeah yeah we'll give listeners a little background about your drinking maybe when you started maybe how it progressed maybe when you first decided look maybe this isn't for me this isn't working in my life and bring us up to the point where you quit you take you know three four five ten minutes however long you want to do this and do us a favor and include times. Like, hey, I was age 22, I was age 24, this one that happened. Yeah, let's, see, let's hear it. Sure. 
So I started drinking, um, well, I mean, my first drunk experience, I believe I was 15 years old. It was intentional. It was, I wanted to know what it felt like. I, uh, at a friend's house, I think my first drink was like a honey brown beer. I, I don't even know that's a thing anymore. <laughs> and it immediately, you know, spiraled. It wasn't just a few drinks, you know, it was, I got drunk and I remember peeing in a big gulp plastic cup in her basement. <laughs> you I might be an alcoholic if line right there. It's a good one. Yeah, exactly. If you peed in a big gulp from a 7-Eleven, you might be an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> on your very so, first time ever drinking. Yes, nailed it. On your very it. first time ever drinking. A plus. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm the winner. Um, but it, but it, it, it was inconsistent, you know? Like, I mean, I, I, I think I've always thought my drinking was normal because normal, I guess, in with the people that I was surrounded with was, you know, occasionally getting drunk, occasionally like smoking pot, you know, that was just part of what I thought was like a normal teenage years. It's like, it was like a rite of passage, like losing your virginity, you know, and like having a rebellious nature, you know, it's kind of just a part of the youth of the nineties. Right. So from there, I mean, my, my history, I can say from age 15 to age 36 was very like inconsistent and like not obvious. I guess there's this concept, you know, in recovery that, you, you know, when you start drinking, like it, you know, it, you don't know, it's going to get worse, right? Like you're, it's, it's, it's a progressive illness, which I do believe to be true, but mine has kind of held pretty steady where it's like I've gone, you know, depending on like who I'm dating, because I, I think my first, my first addiction is people is codependency. Mm-hmm. You know, I can not drink for long periods of time and not even think about it because I've been so attached to other people and what they do and who I surround myself with. And then there would be times where I would go through a breakup or have something happen. And then I would, you know, have a blackout or it's just been very inconsistent and very hard to put my finger on all of these years because I always thought it was my, like my, my, my issues have been mental health issues. I have had depression and anxiety you know, since I was 12 years old, and I came from a very chaotic background, you know, and it's it's really hard to see, see those behaviors and how they manifest in yourself, especially, especially when you're so young, you just don't relate it to those things. You think you're just being like normal, you know, like, because when you t- remove alcohol, you see like, okay, we live in a drinking culture, you know, so like the type of drinking I did was no different than the people that were surrounding me. Mm-hmm. When I was in relationships with people, I've always been in relationships with other alcoholics, but I've never been the alcoholic, quote unquote, you know, like I've been the codependent. I've been the person that's been on the sidelines, like, like trying to support them or trying to do what's best for them. And then there would be moments where I would, um, like, for instance, I had um, an ex-boyfriend I was with for three years, and he was in recovery, but not, he was more of a dry drunk. He wasn't actually participating in the recovery. Mm-hmm. And his family, they were heavy drinkers. And um, I've always been had a lot of anxiety around crowds of people. So I would drink and black out. And it would always felt like whoops. That's always how I describe it. Whenever I've had, like, a blackout, like, it's never, to me, it, it never felt intentional, you know, I never felt like, oh, I was drinking to drink away my worries. It was always like, oh, whoops, I blacked out. Whoops, I don't remember what happened, you know, it didn't, I never ever related it to like having a problem with alcohol because it seemed like that's just like something that happens in someone's life. I don't, I don't know, like it, so until like the past, you know, before my sobriety date, the past 
even, I would say a couple months before I stopped drinking, I didn't see it as a problem. I always saw the other people in my life are ones that had problems. Actually, Jennifer, let me let me jump in here and ask a question. There's there's uh, there's a similar narrative on this podcast that we've heard. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're episode 185, 184 straight episodes, and we're kind of deviating here, which is interesting, and I want to chat more about that. And that's the progression. Uh, and, and it was similar with myself that we were able to notice that it was like a slow downward progression. We were going into a pit of despair, and there was it's like a there was no no coming back unless we quit drinking. And it sounds like with you, you mentioned it was consistent the whole way across, which I find is fascinating. There's there's no like you know there, there's no parallel or like there's no similar pathway here, right? So talk to us more about that. And if it wasn't like a downward progression, and you just mentioned like even a couple months before you started drinking, you didn't really figure out or think you had the problem, where was the light bulb moment saying, hey, like this, this has got to stop? Right. So I would, funny thing, actually, maybe about four months before um, my last uh, trunk, I did an episode with a friend's brother um, who is a recovering heroin addict. And the, the theme of the podcast was going to be the heroin addict and the codependent, me being the codependent, right? <laughs> like, and, All right. Uh, which is so funny to me. I look back on this and I'm like, and I even, I've, I've been trying to start a little podcast here and there. I had a podcast a few years back called Drunk in Cleveland, right? <laughs> Where That's we were, awesome. go around to different places, <laughs> get drunk and just talk stupid shit. And of course that never continued. So like, I, I still, I never saw, like I, it was always just like the idea of a person that is an addict Okay, stemming from my childhood. So I grew up with uh, my stepfather was a crack addict. I was going to say crackhead, but that's probably expensive. Um, so I grew up like very close to addiction since I was like seven years old when my mom remarried. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to like an owl team meeting here and there, you know, throughout my like, childhood. And I know like the, the horror of growing up with somebody that is a crack addict and an alcoholic, you get this idea in your head of what that looks like you know and it looks like violence it looks like threats it looks like the cops showing up in your house and like shining a light in your face when you're you know 10 years old it looks like screaming it looks like jerry springer on fire right it looks like you know what you see in the movies you know it's kind of what i experienced in my childhood so i never in my mind that is a person that is it's almost like you're my to me my stepfather was somebody that was like tainted and born that way and almost like evil in a way you know that was my idea of like what an alcoholic is or an addict so i grew up in a very obviously like abusive environment like specifically emotionally very neglected so i had to construct this childhood sorry my voice is getting shaky it's 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 an emotional thing to talk about yeah Um, no absolutely i had to i had to to make myself perfect growing up and i had to take care of the emotional needs of my parents so for me to be an alcoholic or an addict is like the worst thing is the bottom of the barrel. Right. And I was never going to be that, you know, like it wasn't even possible because I had to take care of myself. I was in survival mode from day one, you know, I took care of myself. So I never depended on anybody to me, an alcoholic an addict is somebody that uses and abuses and steals from you and lies to you. And I, I've never been that person, you know, I've always been like a, like a stand up, like go above and beyond kind of a person. So I didn't know until I probably I started listening to the stories on Recovery Elevator that there are so many shades of addiction and what addiction can look like, and that um, if I'm trying to think of. Well, well, really- Jennifer, I'm going to jump in real quick and say, "Nice job! You broke the cycle. 
and I, I was listening to a Joe Dispenza YouTube video yesterday, and he says, the instant we make change, get ready for the uncomfortable feelings. And I just got to say, nice job. Right there, just you recognized it. Nice job. You've made it further than the majority of people have ever made it. Just breaking the cycle. It's a nice job. And I know this is hard to talk about. I appreciate you opening up and being transparent about it. And I had to do the same. And many listeners who are listening right now have to do the same. They have to stop the cycle. They have to just stop and feel those uncomfortable feelings. So, Jen, you're doing great. And we can just take a couple breaths and we can proceed. I mean, you're you're doing awesome. You're doing awesome. I got to say thank, thank you. you. This is I mean, I, this is part of my recovery too. And I'm taking notes and I'm listening and we're both healing. I feel like I'm not answering your question directly, so I'm so sorry. I was going back <laughs> to uh, uh, if you could lead me back to what the original no, I, question I th- was to. I think you answered it perfectly. You answered it perfectly. Okay. You, let me let me summarize. And you can correct me if I'm wrong is is you had this vision in your mind of what an addict what an alcoholic look like they lied they still they cheated they emotionally neglected other people in their life and you said no way there's no way i'm going to get to that point and you said like that was in your mind the bottom of the barrel that's the worst thing you could possibly get get to and then you then you realized you know, even two months before you quit drinking you said you didn't realize it was a problem but then you said you know what i'm going down that path or i can see myself ending up in that those shoes and you just said stop and you made a change in your life am i am i shooting from the hip there yes no you're good you got it i just can't hear yourself when you're talking yeah 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 Uh, no you're you're (laughs) sometimes i hear my own podcast jennifer i'm like wow i was on pluto (laughs) when i recorded that so i understand (laughs) how that feels and so when you decided to make that change How'd you do it? And, and and when when was that? Was that like you mentioned two months like October twenty October twenty sixteen? Walk us through like yeah. two months before your sobriety date and that time frame. So that time frame was I didn't necessarily make the decision, but I remember being exhausted by the idea of continuing to drink. I remember uh, that October before getting ready for a friend's wedding and forcing myself to drink before the wedding and just thinking like, Ugh, like this is I just choking down like alcohol and being like, I don't want to do this, but I don't feel like I have the choice because I can't be around people. I can't be fun. I can't be, I can't feel attractive. I can't relax without it. And I just remember being so resentful of like holding the can in my hand and being like, Oh, this is awful. Like, why can't I not do this? And then fast forward to, um, I went through, I was living with my uh, girlfriend at the time and we went through a breakup and that spiraled me out a lot for a couple months where I uh, was just trying to get my, my grounding in life. And there were just a few instances specifically. I remember my mom came over for Thanksgiving. I'm an only child, so and I come from divorce, and my, it was me and my mom. And I couldn't wait till she left and she was staying so long for Thanksgiving. She was there for like five hours and I just wanted <laughs> to leave or to leave so I could drink. And I yeah. think I went in the kitchen and made like a rum and coke or something and was just like, I'm like, okay, just drink this one. And so she, I didn't want her to see me change, you know what I mean? Or become silly or relaxed or anything. Sure. I wanted to re- remain my normal uptight self around my, <laughs> my <mother. laughs> um, but, uh But, and then I remember when she left, like, just like, drinking like the rest of the alcohol that I had in the house and like like just you know like waking up the next day and you know just the worst part is just the that started more I would say in the last year of my drinking was the the depression that it was increased so much and already having a problem with depression the hangovers were just awful the suicidal feelings the 
the darkness, the, the inability to bounce back and recover the way I did when I was, you know, in my 20s and early 30s, you know. And then that December, I I went to visit a friend in L.A. and I was like on a little mini vacation and I came home back to my regular life and I I wasn't working. I hadn't yet started my pet sitting business. I, had, you know, my girlfriend and I were broken up. I was trying to figure out everything felt like it was crashing like down on me in my life. And I came, come back from LA and I'm just like, I was just so raw and just like so broken. And I remember like drinking to blackout it like by myself and it just kind of became a pattern like in that first few weeks before um, my last drink. And then my last, my last drunk on December 20th, um, I was by, I was by myself. I was, didn't, you know, it was never intentionally always whoopsies, you know, just like set out to, um, to quiet the brain, uh, <laughs> that kept going. And it was just a like disastrous experience and it was scary. And I woke up just like, I can't, I can't continue on like this. I'm never going to have a life. I've, I've had depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts my whole life. If I keep doing this, I'm going to die. And I, I know I am. I, I woke up that morning thinking, like, I could have choked on my own vomit, you know, like that mm-hmm. type of, like, scariness. And I called a friend who I knew um, was, uh, was sober, uh, and uh, she talked to me through the morning. Um, and I, it was awful. Uh, the humiliation and the shame and the embarrassment, like, were, were almost like I couldn't, I couldn't, handle that um and i actually um that night uh you were one of the first kind voices that i heard paul like i went on on a podcast aficionado is that how you say that word? uh and <laughs> we, we, we are going to we are going to peru in a couple months so that is a spanish word <laughs> aficionado <laughs> oh, okay. nailed it that i know Thank you. Um, like, uh, you're like you were like at a restaurant, and that's the only word you use over and over. Man, would you like to eat aficionado, please? Aficionado, please. And uh, to drink, I'll have the aficionado soda. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. Hey, no, that's another one. Did, delicioso. Nailed it. Nailed it. You keep so going. You're doing I, awesome. You know, trying to go to bed, um, and you know, brain is racing, and I'm like, what have I done to my life? How did I get here? 30, you know, I was 35 at the time, I think. And I was like, how did I get here? You know, and I put your podcast on and I, it lulled me to sleep. No offense. (laughs) But it was so, it wasn't that it was boring. It was just my day was so exhausting. And it was so nice to hear like a kind voice talking about this, telling me I can get through this. And, you know, that was my day one. Jennifer, what the, I've heard that a, a bunch of times. First time I heard it, I'm like, oh, I suck. <laughs> you know, but what it is, it's this feeling that it, it puts people to sleep, even though their their pain moments are so acute because they realize they're not alone. And once we realize that, it's just like, oh, I can rest. I'm not the only one going yeah. through this. And Jennifer, I got to commend you on. There's a moment of clarity that a lot of us receive, but not. That almost everybody gets, but not everybody accepts accepts them. And you had a moment of clarity where you said, this isn't working, right? Our brain, it's powerful, but it can also go in a direction where it can kill, where, where it can kill the host, right? And I, that almost happened to me my summer of 2014. And you had the suicidal, suicidal ideations. It could have happened to you, but you had a moment of clarity. Were you able to sit down and just say, wait a second, this is not working. I need to make a change. And if it wasn't my podcast, like you would have found something else, something internally, like you started it on that prog- on that process, and you can't go back. 
you can't go back. And I'm so happy for you. And you're in Cafe Area, and I've witnessed a bunch of these light bulb transformations. Um, I'm happy for you, and, and we're you're doing great. And uh, yeah, and, and sorry to interrupt you there, but yeah, it pick us up. Uh, you know, when when like right around your sobriety date. Right. So wait. So the. <laughs> Sobriety. Okay, so for the podcast, a little bit of sleep. Um, so I um, yeah, we covered that already, Jen. I'm boring. So I um, I was lucky enough to actually um, find a friend of a friend who was just a, pretty newly sober um, in a twelve step program, and she um, introduced me to. Um, well, I had been to AA before, you know, but never like really, really been to AA. You know, I dabbled in it, but uh, never stuck. And, um, she was kind of like my little, like, gateway of comfort, you know, like she introduced me to like a very nice group of women that were, um, big into AA and I went, I would say for the first like three months of my sobriety, that was like what held me up. That was like my support. That was my, that was my everything for a hot minute, you know? Um, and around the same time, like my, uh, my dog walking business kind of exactly parallels my sobriety day almost like I started my dog walking business as soon as I became sober like and it like took off and so AA kind of took up a lot of my time and I had had some questions that I felt like weren't being answered and I just it didn't feel really right for me I didn't and I didn't have a lot of time to commit to the program and I I kind of transferred um my alcoholism to workaholism and I've been like working ever since, you know. So I, I, I had that first year. I would say, I had either I ignored the concept of like having a program or being in recovery because I was working so much and I was in survival mode, building my business, or I just felt like, um, okay, I just can't drink. You know, like what does it mean to be in recovery? I don't understand. I didn't understand the concept of being in recovery, especially without being in AA, because I didn't know there were other options. I guess and. I would say even through like my, my one year anniversary, like I did just kind of went by and just like breezed by and I didn't ha- really have anybody to celebrate with because I didn't have a support system of other sober people. And I'm so, I'm such a workaholic and I'm so introverted. That's what my life was made of that first year. And I would say until this past March, I, um, I saw, I heard you advertising for the Peru trip on your show. I'm recovery elevator and I was like I want to do something I'm I'm working all the time I have like there are things I want to do in life besides walk dogs which is wonderful so I joined the um, cafe re group kind of begrudgingly <laughs> I didn't really want to connect with other people because that's sure I understand in my past is always connecting with people has always led to pain and I've always kind of I mean it's it's such a it's how I almost roll my eyes at myself by saying this, but it's like I have such a, like a lone wolf mentality. Like I'm going to get through this life on my own. I'm not going to, you know, answer to anybody. I'm going to build my dog walking empire, and I'm going to, you know, <laughs> like. But uh, I, I guess I didn't really realize how much I needed people, like until I started talking to people in Cafe Re. Um, Neither did I, and, Jen. Neither did I. Yeah, isn't it infuriating? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, damn it. You, you, it's like I you hit a mi- yeah you hit, you hit a milestone and it's like God dang it if I'd only known this at this time you know in the previous yeah I get it I get it and and so what was it like in in early recovery like how did you get through cravings 
how did you manage you know, how did you do it like I, I know there's a lot of listeners right now just saying all right you, you, i mean you, you jumped into work but you can't work 24 hours a day you, is there like a specific time you can walk us through and like you had a really close call in early recovery or it doesn't have to be early recovery like in any time in your sobriety yeah i i guess i basically i really did turn to work i know you said you can't work 24 hours a day but you'd be really surprised how <laughs> you can like hyper focus and like just to get away from uh, from having to put yourself out there because I I I get so agitated being around other people and it's really like like in person especially like I have just a lot of, of social anxiety so like I I really did my best to avoid social situations as much as possible which probably isn't the greatest thing but I I do feel like in early recovery you got to do what you got to do you know like I spent so much of my life like people pleasing and like you know being you know drinking and being the life of the party for other people I just I had to go away you know and I lost I lost some friends you know like and that's that's okay you know but as far as cravings go I, I wouldn't say I necessarily had cravings because my drinking was so inconsistent there were definitely points of agitation but lucky luckily for me my last drunk was so horrifying all i had to do was think about that and win mm-hmm. and i was like no it's kind of like they call it the playing back. the tape forward yeah and i'm like i can't i can't do that again like it was so horrifying and so shameful that i'm like there's there's no way i can go back to that and i will go back to that i know i know there's no i'm not gonna have one or two drinks that sounds that's silly. <laughs> That's so silly mm-hmm. to me, the concept of just having one or two drinks. So, And I know that because the concept of having one or two drinks is silly to me, I can't drink normally, you know, because um, I have. Like, there's been plenty of times, like, my, my history is all of the shades, you know? Like, it's not like every time I've drank, I've drank hard and blacked out. I definitely have had one or two drinks. I definitely have had a half beer. I definitely have called a night or not drank for weeks on end, you know? But I never know. Like really, what's going to happen if I do drink? Jen, I we have something in common, and that's when we first got sober that we dove right into work. And there, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I, I read a line in uh, Sarah Hepala's Blackout book. It, it's I love this line. It's where we're just constantly downgrading addictions. Right? Work for me for the long term was not sustainable, but it was a hell of a lot better than alcohol. So I quit drinking. I jumped right into work. And if I were, if we can't do everything at once, like I, I've made a ton of progress in the last three to four months in my in my recovery. Getting did you say navel viewing? Is that what you said? Navel gazing. Oh, navel gazing. All right, I could write that down again. Yeah, if I were to navel start... Navel viewing sounds great, though. Navel gazing is way better. But if I were to start my navel gazing at day one through 30 in sobriety, quit my ADD meds, you know, quit antidepressants, quit the other medications that I was on, you know, get a healthy... Like, it, I would have been toast. Like, my brain, I think, would have just broken, and I would have just been, like, spiraled even further out of addiction. And so... There's a there's a game called addiction whack a mole, and I know I saw you post about that the other day. I've I've talked about it on this podcast. But as long as like we're going down a route where like it's just like it's a little healthier, we're more cognizant of what's happening, and that's the key word: just recognizing these patterns, whether they're external or they're internal emotions. Then we're on the right track. And and, and then Jen, with with 568 days of sobriety, what what are you working on now? Right now. Now that work is down, like I know I, I like I have a stable job, I have a stable income, I have a stable home. I am working on just keeping it where it's at and not there's that part of my perfectionistic brain that I want to I want to run a marathon. I want to, you know, 
find somebody to marry me and fall in love with me. I want to save the world. I want to volunteer. But honestly, the further I have been along into this like second year of recovery is I want to, I want to learn to take care of myself. I want to learn to relax. I want, I, in therapy, we talk about um, learning to like reparent yourself. Um, I'm, I'm learning how to be kinder to myself, like not overwhelm myself with this idea that I have to be this like superhero, um, which I think I've put so much pressure on myself my whole life to be amazing and perfect that I, I want to learn to just like, like, learn to be okay in the moment when I'm spiraling out. Like that is like my main focus. It sounds so tiny and so small, but I have emotional dysregulation, you know, like, and I was never taught to, to learn how to regulate my emotions like as a child and I wasn't parented the best, you know, so learning how to like take care of myself like you would a child is my focus for this year. I don't have, I don't know. Um, I feel like I, I wish I, I could say like, Oh yeah, I'm totally doing this other amazing thing and I'm writing a book and I'm doing that, but I'm just like, I'm learning how to like be a child, you know, and like feed myself, you know, cause I never, I never learned those things. Jen, you, what you said, you, you're like, yeah, this might be small, but it's, it's huge. What you just said is if we were all self-regulating emotional adults, we would need to drink. And that's all, that's like everybody's goal who's listening to this podcast is be able to ride their emotions and feel it and not say, oh my God, this is too much for me. I need a drink. That's not small. That's, that's a huge task and, and good on you for even embarking down that path. And, and I want to share with listeners a really cool post that I read of yours the other day. In Cafe Air, we had a, we had a, a photo challenge, like a before and after photo challenge. And I'm going to read an excerpt from, from your post. It says, Aside from having my bangs pulled back, not a lot has changed about me physically. I'm the same weight and size, but the insides of me, oh, I wish you could see it. Sometimes I forget how different I am because the change seems so subtle some days. I'm making good choices for my mental health. Sometimes I take a few steps back and spiral out and wonder what the fuck am I doing and is this path worth it? But I'm finding those moments are spacing out farther and farther apart and those moments have a purpose to show me how far I've come and how strong I really am. I love that. Comment on that for me, please. Sure. So my consequences in drinking um, were never external. I, I, I never, you know, it's like I never looked terrible. I never looked haggard. I never got a DUI. I never, nobody really ever saw like what was going on in the inside of me and how horrible I felt about myself. And you know, you see there's so much in our culture now with social media, this like before and after picture, right? You know, and you see it on like fitness Instagrams, especially where it's like, oh, before I was a piece of shit. Now look at me. I have abs, you know, like someone <laughs> loved me. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, that like is, it, it's you so. summarize um, the problem with social media in one sentence right there. <laughs> nice job. It's, I mean, it's so appealing. It's so enticing. It's like, I mean, don't we all like, like want to be the best version of ourselves, you know? And I, I don't, I don't have the before picture, you know, because the before picture is honestly the same as the after picture, but inside it's like these little, like I'm still myself, you know, but I have these like boundaries in my brain that like come out, you know, when like when my, when I go to, to want to um, like take over, take care of somebody, solve somebody's problems for them, which is a big issue of mine that I've had in the past, I'm able to see it. I can see myself more clearly. And I, one of the things that I learned 
coming into recovery is that I have, I've had a lot of self-awareness my whole life, a lot of hyper-awareness. Um, but there's a difference between self-awareness and being like self-healed, right? Mm-hmm. I, I confuse the two so much. Like I thought, well, I know I can talk about it. I can talk about all this like fucked up shit that's happened in my childhood, but I haven't, I've still recreated those patterns my entire life. I haven't, I haven't, um, I haven't changed. But now I, now that I'm in recovery, I can't unknow what I know. There's no way I could go back out and drink and it could even taste the same or feel the same. I couldn't lose myself in that way. I know it's impossible. So the insides are totally different and I can manage myself. I can, I can ask myself, what do you need? When I'm spiraling, that's a, that's a, that is so amazing that I can feel awful and go, okay, what do you really need? Okay, we're gonna go, we're gonna go stretch for five minutes so your hips feel better because your hips are tight. I'm like getting in touch with like these places in my body that I've been so disassociated from my entire life, and that is like much bigger than any picture could ever reveal. I love it. I, I love it. Uh, like I said, these, these podcasts are therapeutic for myself. I'm also walking, I'm in recovery. I get it. And I'm so happy for you and I'm loving what I'm hearing. Um, and, and Jen, humor is a huge part of recovery. And I want to say thank you to putting many smiles on my face. And there's something I want to chat with you about. That's called the shift donut. Please talk to us more about that. <laughs> okay. Well, I, for a while, I worked part time at a donut shop in Cleveland, uh, called brew nuts. It's awesome. And uh, I would uh, get a donut after my shift because I thought, like, okay, I get a free donut after my shift. Uh, like, I just assumed that was, you know, the protocol. And one of my coworkers, one time I was grabbing it, I was like, I got my shift donut. And they're like, they're like, there's no such thing as a shift donut. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, essentially stealing donuts, yeah. like, after my shift. Like, That's called stealing, course. Jennifer. That's not a shift donut. <laughs> <laughs> That's not stealing. I just assumed. I don't know. But anyways, I started um, one of my first posts in Cafe RE. I made a shift donut challenge, which was just everybody videoing myself eating a donut. And I don't remember what the challenge was, but basically it was having other people make videos uh, in response to my shift donut challenge. It just became a thing. I don't know. It was pretty awesome. Jennifer, I love it how you when you sign up for Cafe RE, you hit the ground running. There's people that have been members <laughs> for over a year, some almost two years, and they've yet to post. But you signed up. You understood the necessity for community, that you can't do this alone. Damn it. I wish I knew that earlier. So nice job. And Jennifer, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? Okay. Well, this one's kind of dark, um, but I think it's something that needs to be like said because I think a lot of people, especially women, will relate to this. In 2011, I had uh, just turned 30 and went through a breakup, and I was drinking a lot, and I took somebody home from a bar, and I blacked out, and I was raped, which I don't mean to say it casually, but it was, it was, it was an awful experience, and I, had, I, I, I pushed that away from my brain for a long time because I was drinking, and I blamed myself for that, and yeah, that's my, definitely my worst my worst memory from drinking um yeah thank you for sharing i know that's that's hard to talk about and next question jennifer we've all heard of the aha moment when was your oh shit moment indicating that you can't control your drinking okay have you ever heard of something called um a double pipe classic 
Mm, no, let's hear it. I'm excited though. Okay. <laughs> so it's um, double pipe classic is when you burp and fart at the same time. Mm, um, all right. I yeah. Okay. Something. <laughs> I invented a little something my last day of drinking. I like to call the triple pipe classic, um, <laughs> where <laughs> you probably know where this is going. Almost um, foreshadowing. Where? Yeah. Yeah. It's not pretty. Not pretty. Uh, so yeah, uh, triple pipe classic. That is when you lose control of your um, all all the holes. Can I just say that? Yeah, you, to you're going to need three big gulp cups at that moment. Yeah, and it's hard to hold three cups. No, you only have two hands and you're drunk. You can't. That's already a great title of a YouTube video. Um, hopefully, we never have to watch that. <laughs> Jennifer, what's your plan? That's in sobriety? a lot of bullshit moment. Is that your first? <laughs> yeah. No, that's 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 awesome. What's your plan in sobriety moving forward, Jennifer? All right. So learning to like like myself, learning to love myself, deepening my meditation practice. Uh, like I said before, learning just to go slower, to relax. And, well, I do have this trip coming up in October. I don't know if you've heard of it, but me and a group of really cool people um, that are all sober are going to Peru. So that's like Aficionado. Kind of a big thing on my list. Yes, aficionado. <laughs> I'm there. Yeah, I'm so excited. My only complaint about that is it's four months away. <laughs> it's coming up fast, but I wanted to come. I wanted to be here already. And I mean, wh- right. what, what about that trip are, are you looking forward to? Okay, I oscillate between being terrified and wanting to run away and change my name and, and, and uh, delete my Cafe RE subscription. That's why I put so a cancellation policy in place. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I've definitely canceled on things and lost lots of money because okay. of uh, my own fear. Uh, but uh, I am looking forward, honestly, to getting out of my comfort zone and getting to know the people in the group. Um, and just doing something really cool that I never thought I would do. I feel like I've lived such a freaking mundane life. Like, of like I haven't traveled. I have, I'm 36. There's so much I want to do in this life. And I'm like, I get this opportunity to, like, go to Peru and hike the Inca Trail. That's, like, amazing. Like, I'm, I'm so excited about, like, every, every aspect of it. And, Jennifer, what's your favorite resource in recovery? Okay, so this resource is a little bit different. Uh, there is an app called Marco Polo. Have you heard of it? I have not. Let's hear about it. So it's an app um, that I discovered from Angie in the group. Um, we became really good friends, and we basically video message each other back and forth, and it's like having a little therapist in your pocket. It's like having – it's like – like it's it's not like Skype where the person has to be present and like like watch you like live. You can make a video and be like, "This is how I'm feeling in this moment," and then they just watch it at their leisure and then get back to you. I have I feel like I've grown so much as a person being able to um, talk to somebody at any time and have them respond and validate my emotions. I've been able to see my patterns like of thinking. I've been able to like regulate my emotions by talking with someone like any time. It's it is so good. If you can find somebody to talk to, a friend that you trust, somebody in your sobriety group, like, I mean, a th- therapy is wonderful, 100%, but, you know, your therapist, you're going to see, like, once a week for 50 minutes. Like, if you have a friend you can talk to more often, that is, like, like I'm so grateful for that app and connecting. It uh, accepts me to other sober people that I can literally talk to at any time. 
So yeah, that's it. Yeah, it sounds like you're leveraging technology and making it work for you. You can basically have like a bunch of sponsors, accountability partners in your pocket at any time of the day. I love it. In regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I ever received um, was early in sobriety. I had a, another sober woman tell me on a day that I was spiraling out, she's like, you know, you can start your day over at any time. And like my mind was like, what? <laughs> Como? Aficionado? Aficionado? She's like, it really changed the game for me because I am like, I meaning we meaning a lot of us are black and white thinkers. It's like, okay, if this day something goes wrong, if I stub my toe at 10 a.m., then shit, I might as well go, you know, get a drink. I might as well go get a pint of ice cream. I might as well, whatever, you know, do the thing that is going to, you know, soothe me. But it's like time is kind of an illusion, right? <laughs> like, like there's no, like, the calendar, the things, you know, there's this idea of, like, checking off you know, like have these perfect days, like, no, like you can, you can start it over and you could like, you, you can start a shitty day and end it on a high note, like, and it can be your choice. Like you're not, we're not free falling and living in a vacuum, you know, like we have, we do have some power, you know, so that, that really, um, yeah, has helped me a lot in sobriety. Jennifer, I just finished the power of now by Eckhart Tolle and how he talks about time is fascinating. And whether you know it or not, you're living with three Zen masters in the form of feline cats, right? Just observe them for a second. Just watch them relax, be in the moment on the bed, and ask the cat what time it is. Be like, hey, what's what's a cat's name? What's one of them? Oh, uh, Maylene. Or say, hey, Maylene, what time is it? Maylene's going to look you right in the face and be like, Jennifer, what do you mean what? I I don't understand the question. Be like, Maylene, what time is it? And Maylene's going to say, Jennifer, it's... It's now. Like that's the stupidest question I've ever heard. What time? It's right now, and and really, time for human beings is like we're the only species on this entire planet that revolves around time and and struggles to be in the moment as much as we do. So I, I love what you said there. And last question: What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in recovery or thinking about getting sober? Okay, I have two things. Number one is don't compare yourself out of recovery. That is such a huge thing for me. It is so easy to see, to read other people's stories, read an autobiography of a person that has a drinking problem, go to an AA meeting and hear people's stories and not, I'd never heard my story. Like I searched and I searched and it made me think like, well, am I, am I making this up? Am I, um, I was thinking of, do you know the book Fight Club? there's book slash movie where um, the main character goes to different support meetings just so he could like feel things. Oh yeah. Like, like, am I, am I making it up? Am I like saying I have a problem with alcohol just so I can have a thing, you know, like, um, like, like, like your recovery, like is your own. You don't have to be like balls to the wall, like drinking all night, all day. Like you could, if you have one glass a night and you feel like that glass of one glass of wine a night and you feel like that glass of wine like doesn't sit well with you and you feel like, okay, I'm covering up something, you know, you don't, your recovery, like alcohol is but a symptom. And if, if alcohol has manifested itself in your life as a symptom that things aren't going well, like be grateful and you can delve into recovery work and have your program, like be your own, have your story, be your own. Don't compare yourself out of recovery. Like that is so huge to me because my recovery doesn't, look like your typical recovery that you would imagine. 
I'm sorry. I have one more. Oh, you're good. I love the first one. Yeah, keep going. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Uh, Okay. One thing that just blew my mind the other day, I was listening to um, a podcast. I think it was You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes. And somebody on the podcast said, ask yourself this question. What if you're wrong about yourself? And to me that, and I'll define what that means to me, we spend like so much of our time telling ourselves this story of ourselves. Like I was born at this place. I am a jock. I am a nerd. I am, you know, I'm the fat friend. I am the funny friend. I'm, you know, this or that. All these categories we put ourselves in. And most of the time it's negative, you know, like I'm not good enough. I'm too stupid. I'm too old. I'm not really an alcoholic. I might be too much of an alcoholic. I'll never recover. What if you're wrong about yourself? Like, that to me is such a mind-blowing concept that this stories that we have been telling ourselves our entire life, like, we could totally be wrong, Paul. <laughs> and I hope I'm wrong because, man, I've been telling myself some pretty, like, shitty things. And I'm looking forward to seeing, like, proving myself wrong, you know? So two comments on, on your advice. The first one, drinking is but a symptom. And at some point in our recovery, we're going to have to start do some navel gazing. I love it. Second one, I agree 100%. I highly recommend the book, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark. Uh, Mark Man- Anyways, that book. But be careful. You can't unread that thing. I was wrong mm. about a lot of things in my life, a lot of internal patterns. And I found that I was even finding comfort in my suffering. How fucked up does that sound? But it was true. So, and before we depart, Jennifer, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcohol gift line. Okay. <laughs> you might be an alcoholic if you post a video on all your social media accounts of you drunk at home alone, dancing to Lady Gaga and juggling cigarettes. <laughs> or if you complete a triple pipe classic. Or the Big Gulp classic, all the above. (laughs) We've heard some good ones here. (laughs) Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much uh, for spending your morning with us on the Recovery Elevator podcast. Much appreciated. Thank you. Before we depart, I'd like to talk about another person from the Cleveland area. Let me talk to you about a highly talented 27-year-old wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns named Josh Gordon, a.k.a. The Flash. In his first year in the NFL in 2013, he led all players in receiving yards and was a first-team All-American pro. Without a doubt, a badass. Since then, he has been suspended by the NFL four times for violating the league's substance abuse policy. And after a lot of hard work that we all understand on this podcast, he was reinstated back into the league halfway through the 2017 season. Right before training camp was scheduled to start at the end of July, Josh Gordon tweeted that he will not be attending training camp due to his personal treatment plan to address his struggles with addiction. I watched an ESPN video cover this story, and here's what the commentator said. He said, look, Josh, when you're ready to go, we're ready to have you back. And then he says, hey, guys, we need to let Josh go do what he needs to do. And Josh, I'm rooting for you. Shortly after Josh Gordon's announcement, the Browns announced that he will be placed on the non-football illness reserve list until he's ready to return. Browns general manager John Dorsey said in a statement, We will continue to support Josh as he receives the care needed to maintain his progress. We are going to respect his privacy while he is away from the team. The reaction by ESPN and the Browns makes my heart swell. We are headed in the right direction. There was a time, especially in sports, when it was the no pain, no gain mentality, and if you didn't show up for training camp, regardless of how good you were, you didn't have a spot on the team. 
ESPN does a tremendous job creating a supportive culture around addiction. They've seen too many careers and lives and well before they should have. ESPN and the Browns understand there's something more important than football, and that's the mental health and the life of Josh Gordon. And Josh Gordon, I want you to know that myself and everybody else listening to this podcast right now, we're rooting for you. Sure, we'd like to see you succeed on the football field because that's what you want, but that's secondary. We're rooting for you as a person and let us know how we can help. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.